listening to the Bloody Bits Horror Show with your host, Eddie Diaz. Hello and welcome to the Bloody Bits Horror Show. I am your host, Eddie the Axe Jefferson, and joining us this week, I have a very special guest, filmmaker Uva Boll. How are you doing today, Mr. Boll? Good. I'm, I'm in Germany uh, since July, so here it's now uh, in evening time, So and uh, but overall, uh, I'm, I'm good in the, in the shitty year 2020. <laughs> basically i i don't I think do anybody liked that year no what a shit storm it's been man how, yeah. how are you holding up during this whole uh pandemic that's been going on uh yeah i mean we had a uh, we were first in vancouver um and in the beginning uh i got my restaurant what i had there the Bauhaus restaurant got evicted uh and closed and there is a lawsuit pending but the restaurant is basically history so there was a very hard hit in the beginning uh, of yeah. the year like in march directly in the first week of like the shutdown basically and um then we also made the decision to relocate back to germany in general and we were able to travel then in july beginning of july uh, back to germany so now the kids go here to school and stuff like this so it was adjusting of course uh, my wife is from Canada, so she had to or must learn German still, but she mm-hmm. she likes Germany and uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was the right move. Uh, also in regards of me, I, w- I wanted to go back to movies and I felt like making movies uh, in a way, for me, it's easier to try to get the financing in Germany uh, as, as in Canada, because I'm kind of well known here. Um, in in a positive way you know so and uh that that was really like for me i felt like let's go back and uh try now in the new world with streamers and netflix and amazon and so on to uh to continue with with something i saw it's basically over after rampage three yeah that's so you're getting back into film that's that's wonderful i because I read a little bit that, that you had gotten into the uh, restaurant industry. You had uh, taken some time to, to travel around and hit, uh, I think it was like over 100 Michelin star rated uh, restaurants. Yeah, I'm a big foodie. Wherever I am, I try to find the, the great places. It's not always the, the Michelin star restaurants who are the best restaurants. And mm-hmm. I actually cannot eat uh, more as like one time a week maybe like the typical Michelin star five, six course meals. Yeah. So uh, normally I just have one dish and or maybe an appetizer and I'm done. And this kind of restaurants, they don't offer this. So it's it's for me, but over the years I went, I think in around a hundred uh, of them. Um, and if you are on, on the West Coast a lot, if San Francisco, um, they have just amazing restaurants down there, Napa Valley, San Francisco. Um, it's not too far in, from Vancouver uh, to travel there. And in Europe, you have tons of them where you can drive. It's, it's yeah. the distances here are very smaller. And uh, I mean, five hours with the car in Paris. I mean, now every, everything is impossible. But uh, it, let's say in the normal world, if, if the pandemic is over, all that is way easier. Uh, because Europe is kind of uh, very easy to reach everything with a car in a way. Yeah, yeah, everything's a little closer together. Is there a, a specific type or style of cuisine that you find yourself, uh, you enjoy the most? or? No, I mean, if I had to pick, I would still pick Italian cuisine. Uh, so if, there's always that question, like what if you have to eat one year every day, uh, kind of the same kind of cuisine. I think Italian is is the best way to go uh, because you can have just a little pasta, but they have also fish and meat dishes and stuff like this. And uh, I don't know how many times in my life I ate spaghetti bolognese, but uh, definitely more as fifteen hundred times. So uh, the 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 really high end food I think is. It's kind of an event and you eat stuff you would maybe normally not eat and you feel like wow uh, how can they uh, make a dish like this 
so different as I would cook it, as mm -hmm. my mother cooked it or whatever. And that was is the fascinating fascination I think in the in the high end cuisine. And uh, but I, ha I have to say I had various times also bad experiences in super expensive high end restaurants where you feel like. It's just bullshit. It looks good, but it doesn't taste really uh, adequate. That you think like, oh, that is great uh, taste-wise, and and that is the thing. It's it's learning by doing. I like Asian cuisine too. I, I love Thai food and like mm. crispy duck dishes and stuff like this. I really like them, um, and. I never was able so far in my life to travel to Asia. So I was never in Japan. I was never, I was in China one time because they wanted to open a, a restaurant, like my restaurant, like Bauhaus, and they wanted mm -hmm. to basically pay it. Um, but I recognized after the one trip that it's too far. It's, it's, a, it's just like, it was like a 16 hours kind of flight. Yes. And I recognized like, I mean, how much money I can actually make with a restaurant what would justify me flying once a month uh, around the globe, basically. And I felt yeah. like it's just bullshit. Yeah. I'm not doing it. It's like if I would have somebody who would who would uh, uh, um, live there, you know, then it's different. But if you actually uh, um, responsible for the quality um, of the right. you know of the food and stuff. Exactly, because yeah, otherwise you're just putting your name on an inferior product. Yes, and and then you don't know what actually happens there. And I felt also like going there to the markets uh, that the kind of food like we we did high end German food. So in Bauhaus you could get a, a Wiener Schnitzel, uh, mm -hmm. but you can you could also eat a five course uh, tasting menu if you want. And but we had a lot of German rustic uh, cuisine made uh, in a very good way, big beef roasts and stuff like this. And um, in China, the meat, for example, tastes totally different. And you really would have to basically import or find an importer for meat, what would be, of course, way more expensive. You know, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's like, and then, and then the Chinese, they're also not like, of course you have super rich Chinese, but on the, in the, in the mass market, they don't have the same amount of money as people in North America. And so they will be not willing, uh, to spend like 50 us dollars, yeah. uh, for a dinner, you know, and, and, and that would be for them, uh, uh you would have very, very. A small amount of guests if if you don't have there something for like 20 bucks uh for everybody um and that was the import prices of like basically flying all this stuff in what you need yeah, to make yeah. the the food there it was not really worth it and, and as i said the travel was was very hard and, and i'm not the big flying fan it's not that i'm not even if i traveled a lot in my life it's not that i'm excited to go for 12 hours in an airplane no, no. I think you'd have to be a lunatic to be excited to be in an airplane for 12 hours. Yeah, you know, and, uh, uh, and it, it was, as I said, it was a, an interesting trip. Um, but also that thing where they wanted to build Bauhaus is still not open. It, it was kind of a holiday uh, paradise thing with the, uh, the name was Ocean Flower Island, an artificial island. They built it. And so I was there two and a half years ago. And now it's still uh, it's still not open. That whole island is not open, and I assume wow. uh, the corona made an made an additional uh, stop. Um, oh yeah, you know. So where uh, and and then the, the second question would be like, okay, now we have that exclusive island with tons of hotels and tons of hotels, but how long it will take, even in China, before you can fill up? that island like uh, that takes maybe four or five years where you have half empty restaurants where you have you know like where, where you have this kind of every restaurant they had like a restaurant street and we would be one of like the top restaurants on that street but there were like a hundred restaurants so so let's say they all open 
but you have, of course, the first uh, two, three, four years, it takes time to to build up a holiday destination like this. And so you would, oh, yeah. you, you know, and then you have a big fight under the restaurateurs, uh, like uh, who, who gets the few guests who are actually walking down the street. And so I think it was the right decision. And um, I also don't go back to restaurants now. Now where the Bauhaus in, in Vancouver is closed, uh, I, I will not go back to it. It was too labor intense. Um, and I had to get very, very involved basically on a daily basis uh, to make it work. And that was also something I, I saw it, it's different. I thought you I had a good chef, you have a good manager and the thing is going, but it's not. We had like three chefs in four years. We had, uh, five managers in four years and not because I'm a harsh chef and just throw everybody out. It was really because they really felt a, a part, you know, where you have the feeling like, I mean, uh, as soon we had like 60, 70 people sitting down, um, if half of them getting from a chef constantly lukewarm food, you need to change. Yeah. You know, that it's like you can watch this for two weeks and then you have to basically let the guy go. You know, you say it over and over again. You say you cannot, that the food has to get hot. Like, I mean, you have to bring food hot to the table like little things but they matter yeah you know so they they totally well, matter yes. and then i'm on the floor talking to the guests and they say look normally it's so good but the last two times we came it just kind of sucks or all the, the the waiters are slow you know and then you have that discussions like why i want my bill now i'm waiting here for 10 minutes nobody brought my bill stuff like this so you have non-stop fluctuation and non-stop basically uh, new people on the floor in the kitchen and the only person who was constantly the face and the owner was me right so but i'm not a cook so i could not like cook myself or something so um, right. and, and that is very hard so I, I think the best successful restaurants are definitely the ones where the owner is also the cook yeah you really have to be on top of that i, I worked as a cook for a few years and you're so right that consistency in your product is is you, your customers have an expectation when they come in there, and the minute that they come in and they get that one dish that just doesn't meet that expectation, they're fickle. They'll move on. Totally, uh, exactly. Yeah, especially if they're paying for a higher end experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is the thing. Well, you, know, I, you you make the people you make the people ten times happy, and then they're one time not happy, and you don't <laughs> see them for a year. That's so true. And, and I could talk food with you forever, but <laughs> yeah. we have to move on here to movies. So yeah. next month, we're, we're recording this ahead of schedule a little bit. Um, next month, we're going to be featuring on my podcast, uh, once a week we, we record, movies all made by you. Uh, we're calling it Bullvember. And just a, a, little, a little history for me. Now, I've actually only seen one of your films so far. Um, I'm a huge fan of horror, and normally the way that my podcast goes is I have a guest bring in a subject of horror or a movie of horror. Uh, it could be anything that they feel passionately about, and we discuss it a little in depth. Um, so for, for Bovember, what we're doing, though, is I have a, a different guest coming in every week to, to discuss one of your films, and the, the film of yours, the first one and only one I've seen so far, was House of the Dead. It came out in the movie theaters, and uh, a group of friends and I decided we, we would go see it because, well, we had heard the name from video games, obviously. Uh, and I guess I went in there with my expectations tempered, right? It's a video game movie. It's... You're not going in there to see uh, uh, The Shining, you know, or uh, something something that that has necessarily a lot of story behind it. It's it's a light gun shooting game movie. So while I can say I did not necessarily, it wasn't one of my favorite horror movies for sure. I then I I I, I didn't feel the need to go on the internet and start screaming about it. Uh, but it seems like everybody else did. And, and it's funny, I heard an interview with you where you said, look, um, Michael Bay makes these bullshit movies like Transformers, and no one 
goes after him. And in, in all honesty, I tried to watch that first Transformers movie, and I had to shut it off within 10 minutes. I cannot say that about House of the Dead. I sat through the entire movie, no problem. So I guess my first question to you uh, is, why do you think they came after you and not some of these other filmmakers? Why did they give them a pass? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the real phenomenon started almost after because I did uh, Alone in the Dark next. And uh, I think that pushed them completely over the edge, you know. But I, but I felt that they, in a way, judged me. Um, in, in a, really, when you, when you see House of the Dead today, for example, I used mm -hmm. in some uh, editing techniques also some material from the video game. Uh, I used the Matrix setup. Then I had like a slow-mo, like a turntable where the camera is basically on a table and that it, it, it rolls around the actors. I did a lot of technical yeah. advanced things for that time, for 2003. And if you use, if you do all of this today, the people say, oh, state of the art, right? So that they would be like, oh, cool. He uses uh, animation in it. Uh, at that point, whatever I did, I did something. <clears throat> it looks like wrong for uh, whoever watched it. And um, the, I heard also voices like I really love Alone in the House of the Dead or whatever, but but they were not the voices out there in the press. They were not the out, the, the people writing about it, um, and they they were just uh, hammering it on me, and it never stopped. With with the next movies I did, they were so different, even if they were video game based movies uh, in the genres. Blood Rain is a vampire movie, and 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 and. Um, Alone in the Dark was more like a sci-fi kind of uh, creature movie, and what, yeah. but whatever I did, I got the same reviews for like five years straight, and I fe I feel that is very very uh, unjustified, and it's like uh, they jumped on me, but it could be also that I didn't had a Hollywood support network, what some yeah. of that directors have right they, they they know each other they live in la they have an agent manager attorney pr group they're all working with them and so the 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 journalists a lot of times are a little more careful with them because they know oh mm. if i bash uh, um, this guy i i'm not getting invited to press screenings anymore whatsoever this kind of protection i never had till today and um I think some people felt then strong to bash me, to really go after me. And, and uh, that is the thing. It's like, um, tja, uh, hard to, to, to see what to say about it, like now 15 years later, basically. But um, it was really like five, six years where um, whatever I did, I got the, exactly the same review. And I, I had also the feeling that people wrote reviews without even watching the movies. Yeah, yeah, I I completely got that feeling because I also watched. I mean, it's your your classic stereotype of somebody in his basement with with bad posters uh, on the wall behind him, screaming into a webcam about how your movie is the worst thing ever ever committed to film, and you get the sense that they're they're trying to one up each other and and vie for this attention. Even though they might, like you said, have not have even seen that that movie, it's. I wonder what that impulse is. What what's that desire? Do you think in, in a person to just try to to tear something apart for for no reason? No, but but it but it's also a lot of times it's jealousy. Mm. And for example, one of my big enemies was Harry Knowles. Okay. You know who who uh, at that point? I mean, uh, um, I was a few times in Austin, Texas, at the Alamo Film Fest with the movies, mm -hmm. and he was one of the big uh, uh, Austin, uh, of course, reviewers. And uh, whatever I did, also he bashed it into the ground. And we had a few times where I mean, he was almost always in a, in a wheelchair. Um, he was extremely uh, big, where right? like uh, couldn't run and couldn't walk anymore, basically. And, and then he always talked to me about his projects, like his, uh, that Paramount will give him a $100 million producer deal and whatever. And I told him, like at that point, I said, uh, uh, they play you, Harry. 
They invite you to the sets and you talk to Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings because aintitcool.com was a big website at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they, they, they kiss your ass, but they will never make a movie with you. That I can guarantee you 100%. You know, they will not give you money. They, they will just have you as their PR guy uh, and they happily fly you into something and pay the hotel, but they never, nobody will ever give you a, a production deal because for them, you're overall only a fat nerd from Austin. Yeah, and they're getting what they want out of you. Yes. So, and that is the thing. And he was, of course, he hated me for it that I told him the truth, right? So, and he, so he, he didn't treat me better after this. But I said, look, you, you, at one point, you will be uh, hopefully thankful that somebody told you the truth because this ass kissers will never tell you the truth, but they go silent on you. They will not return your calls. They will not give you a, a, a million bucks that you write a script for them or something. It will just not happen. And it never happened for him. Uh, um, you know, and then later he got that whatever he got. The, I think he had like uh, uh, sexting problems or whatever, or he harassed a girl, and then he completely vaporized. I don't even know if he if he's still doing something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely an industry that'll just use you, chew you up, and spit you out. I mean, and and you're so right. It's of course they're going to tell you they're going to give you what you what what they what you want. That they, they want something from you. They want press from you they want good press but you in in getting so much bad press do you think there actually is such a thing as bad press honestly uh, or it, does it all serve as promotion do you think no i, I think there is bad press i, I think if, if you get like uh, a movie out there and and uh, you get completely wrongly uh, uh, trashed where you where you read things and you think this guy never even watched the film he just had the press notes and wrote the synopsis and then wrote another overball disaster, blah, blah, blah. Um, that, that, that had a bad effect because there are people reading reviews or listening to it and think, okay, I maybe wanted to go, but now I'm not going. And so I think it hurt the business definitely. Um, but on the other hand, uh, as, as you said, like, um, I got like in, in kind of infamous famous, you know, like where um, most of the people in the industry or film fans, they know the name over ball. Uh, and I don't think they would uh, if not that five years of um, mayhem happened with the Raspberry Awards, with me boxing the reviewers, the critics in the boxing ring and all that stuff. Um, so sometimes I used I used it also to make PR to get attention. Uh, absolutely, yeah. um, that was my my fallback or my my um, yeah uh, the way I tried to turn it a little around also in my favor or that people at least talking about the movie. And uh, in in the end, if you get like invited to an MTV TV show where they trash you, but you are in the TV show and they show a few clips of your movie, it's better as to not be invited and they don't even mention that your movie exists. Right. And and that's the thing I think where they where they kind of messed up is it, it I've seen some of these, you know, events and we'll get to the boxing match in a minute, but it, it seems like for a lot of other people in the industry, getting getting so abused by the press, a lot of a lot of other people aren't really, I guess, comfortable being the bad guy is a way to look at it. Uh, it, it and, and instead, they'll they'll uh, be like your Harry Knowles, who will just you know kiss your ass and suck up to you and try to get what they want through through those means. But it seemed like your approach was uh, a much much more genuine approach. And that you just kind of attacked everybody back. And, and, and uh, I think, do you think like part of that also aggravated them and pissed them off further? Like maybe you were a little too strong and came on a little too strong for them? Absolutely. Because they, they also, that is what I learned also in the, also in the film industry, not only with the reviewers or critics, it's, it's the same with the film studios, with the agent, the managers. They want basically that you are more the, the sensible, sensitive, arty guy who they can pamper or pamper up mm -hmm. or, or in a way like uh, they build him up, they make him. 
you know right, right. and if you, if you are uh, in in a, in a totally different situation um in in that case uh, me basically also based on my upbringing and whatever i just don't take shit from anybody you know right, it's right. like it's like totally against my nature uh to bend over backwards that people like me or you know so i um, i never had um what is, by the way, an interesting thing is like when I talk to my crew people, like people I made a lot of movies with, they said also like everybody who works with you loves you. Yeah. You know, they said nobody, the actors, the, the crew, they, because you're not like bullshitting. You just make your thing. They uh, uh, you, you, you do movies like a teamwork and um, anybody can talk to me on set. Anybody, you know, like it's, I'm totally open for, for things and I'm confident enough to even listen to a PA. If, he, if like a production assistant, if he has a great uh, uh, comment on something and say, oh, you forgot something, uh, you know, so it's like it's not like, oh, you cannot talk to him. You know, like, I mean, if, if you, uh, I saw Brian Singer working one time when we shot Alone in the Dark, he shot like the, yeah. uh, the X-Men stuff, uh, um, you know, and it was, he, he was like, the people were not even allowed to talk to him, you know, yeah. and I felt, you know what, that is so BS, that is so bullshit. And uh, um, because that makes people feel also this kind of what we see a lot in the film industry now with all that scandals the last few years coming out, including Brian Singer's uh, scandal, is... Some of the worst, yeah. Absolutely, that they feel they can do everything and never get punished because they are above everybody. And, uh, and, and that is... Uh, um, I, I despite that. I, I, I hate that, you know, like this kind of... Uh, Napoleon complex and and uh, and but then they are actually not the little sensitive artists in reality no. they know exactly they're shuffling in millions and millions of dollars they don't care about the people they put the money up because they go non-stop over budget and and don't care about anything especially with the x-men it was a completely shit show with him a lot of times not even on yeah. set and and uh but they're still getting movie after movie after movie and uh, I don't know how many people told me like 15 years ago that Harvey Weinstein is a rapist. Uh, all that actresses say, oh my God, he tried, uh, as soon as I was alone with him in the elevator, he grabbed my tits, stuff like this. I told me 15 right. years ago, you know, and that you feel how many people would have known about Harvey Weinstein, for example, a lot, a lot. He should went to jail like 10 years earlier. You know, or he should got like whatever really badly beaten up by uh, other people, but they were all in a way in bed with him. Not only the woman, but also the man in a way that they that he made the career for them. You know, so that yeah, they, they, yeah I mean, yeah. So the, if he's making money, they're going to insulate and protect him, and that's one of the things about the industry that I absolutely despise. You, you're you're so correct in it. It's it's such a den of serpents that, that they, they, they deal in shadows. You know what I mean? The idea of I'm this, the aloof artist and creative type that's completely unapproachable. Yeah, that gives you this, this illusion that you're much more intelligent than you really are. But, but it also allows you to do things undercover. It's classic misdirection. Pay attention to this hand while really over here we're taking your money and churning out garbage like those X-Men movies precisely. It's yeah. no, that is I hundred percent agree, and I felt when I when I um, read that that book about uh, I mean Stanley Kubrick did some amazing films, right? I mean The Shining is yes. one of my favorite films, and Clockwork Orange of, of all times. But mm -hmm. when you uh, I mean Eyes Wide Shut, not <laughs> you know, so it was just like, and, and I had the feeling with time go by, he kind of lost his shit, you know, where you, where, and then you read that there was that book from the, one of his assistants or producer friends, whatever, who said like on Ice White Chat, why he was sometimes shooting like the same shot a hundred times was also because he completely had no clue what to do next. So this kind of like... Uh, when I'm done here, uh, what are we doing next? So I, I basically have to go to the hotel first to actually find out 
what we can shoot next. So this kind of like being not super prepared, being not the, uh, you know, like everything but Stanley Kubrick is every shot is art or whatever. Uh, it's also completely bullshit. And film is not like painting. You know, if you're a painter, you're a painter. It's you alone and the color and the canvas. And you cannot hide behind something. It's like you can't paint or not, right? So, and, and but as a filmmaker, you have so many possibilities to basically um, get credit for things you, that are not yours. Like, look at all the Michael Bay stuff. The great CGI, he's basically, has nothing to do with it. You know, yeah, yeah. so and, and yeah, if you exactly. take if exactly and if you take the CGI out, like the sixty million dollars per movie he spends on CGI, then you have only silly idiotic dialogue, no character development, yeah. and you give a shit about every single person in, in his movies. And and I think that that is a uh, it's it, it's sad, but of course he made a lot of money and he made the studios a lot of money with his completely stupid. Uh, popcorn uh, uh, films, but he would be never a, a great filmmaker. Mm -hmm. It's it's as pretentious as that that Michelin star uh, dish, where all they do is lean on the very expensive ingredients, and there's no substance. They're not doing anything challenging. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I couldn't watch ten minutes of one of those fucking movies. It, it was one of the worst things I'd ever seen. And and that's, I mean, yeah. I'll give them credit where credits due. The, the digital effects are, are great, and and I do recall with, with House of the Dead, you know, you did the the kind of three sixty panning effects, and yeah, it, it'll be interesting to go and watch Alone in the Dark and some of these other movies, like you, you said, fifteen years later, because there's almost a, a poetic irony to it. In in the video game industry, uh, you could be the company like Sega, uh, who was the trailblazer. They were the first to have a video game system connected to the internet where you could play against uh, other people around the world. But they ultimately failed because sometimes it doesn't really pay to be the trailblazer. Yeah, others can sit back and, and criticize you for doing something new while they're just churning out more of the same. Uh, <laughs> No, so abs absolutely. You definitely see that. Yeah. yeah. No, but there was also like the thing what, when I was like at the game conventions and whatever, and when I traveled around and promoted my films, it was a lot of times where uh, you, when you actually talk to the people, they all, all calmed down, right? So, and I said also, I mean, you cannot really expect that I make the film House of the Dead and you, you expect now Schindler's list is, list is coming up. And you're totally disappointed <laughs> that House of the Dead right. was a campy zombie film with a lot of blood gore uh, uh, effects and whatsoever. I, I mean, right. you know, I said like that is completely idiotic uh, to say whatever because we came almost similar out. Eli Ross came out with Cabin Fever, and everybody loved Cabin Fever, like the best thing ever shot in the history. And Cabin Fever was not bad, but but the difference was like for me. Uh, I'm the worst of the worst, and that is the best of the best. That is what they wrote, and you think like, uh, okay, uh, I'm a big film buff. I watched at least 10, 15,000 films in my life, and it's just not true. Well, Cabin Fever yeah, is okay, it's... but there were tons of better horror films done. And uh, House of the Dead is basically also okay, uh, because I uh, tried at least to, to bring that overdrive shoot and kill situation, what you have exactly when you play House of the Dead. Uh, mm -hmm. I bring that to the screen, and I did this. You know, so, uh, yeah, and, and that is the thing, what, 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 what I felt like that is so... Uh, so wrong you know so uh, there is a good article uh, the only defending guy at that point was art ettinger in new york he had the magazine ultraviolet ultraviolent uh, so and he yeah. wrote in that in an article at that point i mean it's 15 years ago like that i'm the com the the most wrong judge director of all times and that was already when i had like Alone in the Dark was out, bad reviews. Blood Rain was out, bad reviews. And then Dungeon Siege came out, bad reviews. And and he said just it's just he said like that has nothing to do with the product anymore. It's just against overboard. 
Yeah, it's almost like they decided you're going to be the villain, so anything you do must be shit. It's and and, and in the video game world, like you're never going to make a movie that's going to live up to their expectations because it's a video game. It's an interactive experience. How are you supposed to portray that on on film? And and if, even if you do, do do you do it as straightforward as possible and give them exactly the experience of the story of the video game, or or do you do something new? Because either way, you're going to alienate half of the fan base. And and it's funny because years later, I saw the uh, the Doom movie after the Doom video game with uh, uh, the Rock, no, uh, Vin Diesel, Doom. right? Yeah. And it reminded me so much of House of the Dead because some of the elements, I mean, a lot of the you know very high-end visual elements that were thrown in there, even going so far as to cut in some of the game elements, the first-person perspective and the ultra-violent thing. But you never heard anybody just just tear that movie apart the way that they did yours. That's, well, that's so interesting. I, I wonder why. It, it, again, it's got to be you, right? It's got to be they just picked you it was like this kind of en enemy number one and and uh i i 100% agree with you it's, it's like it, when then other people did it after me it was cool but i did it maybe yeah. first so i was the worst piece of shit ever and uh and and that is the thing it's like um a lot of um things i got never like credit for or nobody whatever really thought about it but uh I felt always every movie I did, I tried to do really different. Also uh, uh, adjusting, of course, to the story. But I did movies where I did a lot of things on the dolly track. And I did movies where it was all handheld, depending on the story mm -hmm. and depending. So I, uh, for me, it's not, I don't want to bring my style on screen. And whatever story I tell, it has to be uh, like Tarantino, like the style, right? It's like I yeah. put the story in the middle and just try to tell the story. And then, of yeah. course, you use all kinds of uh, technical things you want, but I'm not going like um, putting me first and say every person has to, when, when he's watching whatever movie I ever did, they have to immediately know, oh, that is an overball movie because whatever, I have the, this kind of thing putting in or the cutting style or whatever. And uh, I think that limits also um, your storytelling ability. You know, like Tarantino, if he, if, I would love to see from Tarantino uh, a movie what goes a little back like Reservoir Dogs, what would be like straightforward, only 90 minutes long, yeah. very violent and, uh, uh, and and telling an interesting story. And I mean, the, the that Hollywood movie he did, the last one, I of mm -hmm. course I watched it. And of course it was great production value whatsoever, but my wife slept in 10 minutes. You know, I mean, nothing <laughs> happened. That was just like talk and talk and talk. And then you have in the end, like that four minutes massacre where uh, what, what is almost a comedian, but because it's so overdrive with the dog. Yeah. And by, you know, it's, it's like typical in a way, the Tarantino thing. And, but you, you walk out and you think, okay, what was the point to show yeah. uh, uh, James, uh, the, 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 uh, Mason, what was it, Manson, right? Charlie Manson uh, uh, didn't kill Sharon Tate and instead his gang got killed the next house over. So why is that cool to completely change history? I, when he, when I was reading, he is doing the, the Charlie Manson story. I would love to see uh, uh, DiCaprio as Charlie Manson. You know, that would be a film and showing the, all the crimes they did till they got like arrested and everything. That would be cool. That is what I was looking forward to watch. And then I watched the movie and I felt like, oh my God, it has nothing to do with Charlie Manson. It's just a side plot. And we see basically people shooting Western. Yeah. Well, but that's his style. You know, it's, he's evolved, devolved, whatever you want to put to it, into just doing the, the spaghetti western style film it's yeah you're totally right i'd love to see him go back to like reservoir dogs that was a phenomenal film um so just to kind of uh, put a bow on uh uh how the industry hated you 
in in uh, I believe it was the movie Postal is where you boxed the uh, the internet critic Rich uh, uh, Kayenka, uh, who went by the name of Low Tax. Um, he I've heard talk about it later on, saying he thought it was just going to be some dumb publicity thing, and and that it was just for fun, and that you had taken it seriously and beat the shit out of him. What what what's your side of the story on this? No, I mean he knows also he was just lying. Uh, uh, there and, and by the way, I have now he's a Facebook friend of mine, <laughs> and oh, really? uh, yeah, because he had a very serious illness, he almost died, and I yeah. wrote, I wrote him like I, I really wish you the best and whatever, and we we are on very positive terms now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not like Brian Singer would ever go in contact with with him, he would just say, oh, maybe he's dead, I give a shit. Uh, right. You know, so that is the thing. I think he saw that I'm not like a surface guy. And um, of course, the whole uh, approach, everything was in the press. We had a boxing ring. We had a real arena with the people mm-hmm. paid 100 bucks to watch the fights. Um, everybody had to sign waivers. They went to the box training before they got the mouse protection thing. And all of them besides him, after crystal clear, uh, uh, acknowledged it and said what it is. They were aware that they may be getting a beating. Uh, some like like uh, Chris Alexander, who is uh, from Fangoria, uh, um, uh, a writer and so on. He uh, t- really trained hard in a gym in Toronto for like two months for it. Chance Minter trained uh, um, boxing for it. And um, what what should I think about you have an event like this and you say mm-hmm. I got four years trashed into the garbage can and then I would dance around and shake his hand in the ring. The audience alone and the press would kill us. Yeah. They would say, I mean, if you put up a show, you better deliver, right? I mean, if you say you go in a boxing ring to to fight your hated Uwe Ball, uh, and Uwe Ball says, I want to fight the stupid reviewers. So, of course, it has to be real. It has to be a real fight, you know? And it's not like um, when you see on YouTube, the fights are all on YouTube. It's you saw that I also, in a way, hold back. So yeah. it's it, it's like of course I knocked him out whatever but, it, but oh, wait. Uh, wait one second one second no problem hello KJ hello <laughs> that is my son from Vancouver was with what I'm on in the pot come on KJ can I can I reach you in like twenty minutes yeah because look dog. But yeah. Yeah. Ah, mit den Waffen. Uh, Eddie, I'm so sorry. Just give me one minute. It's my son from no Vancouver. So uh, I'm I'm in a podcast in America right now, live. So they listen. They listen. Uh, so no, but so you put, you warm up the cherries. You warm up the cherries, right? And the waffles. You want to know how to make the waffles? Yeah. So. Uh, you, what? Sour cherries, sour cherries. You open. Nein, you just heat them up. You don't do anything else with the sour cherries. You just heat them up. Okay, KJ, talk to you later. Bye. See, that was family life. I know how it feels, man. <laughs> I got two kids of my own. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, he's my son from my first uh, uh, marriage, and he lives in Vancouver still, mm. and uh, so and we have, we see each other like various times a year, also for the holidays. Now it's a little mm. harder with the German with the situation, but he was over the summer here, and uh, he they love my waffles, so I oh. gave them the recipe like uh, like the German waffles, and then you eat it mm-hmm. with sour cherries. You warm up sour cherries. Because it's so nice if they are a little sourness to it, to the, uh, and, and uh, I know a lot of people put like just strawberries on top of waffles, but that makes it double sweet. Mm. And I like the sour cherries on it as a little uh, antidote to the, to the sweet waffles. Okay, back to the subject matter. We were... 
No, no problem. Yeah, I was we, I was just going to say actually, one of my favorite uh, dishes involving waffles is chicken and waffles. Have you have you tried that? Yeah, I love that too. But then you do the dough different, right? So it's not the classic yes. super sweet waffle. Yeah, a little more savory, but you still go with a little maple syrup and uh, hot sauce yeah. on the uh, chicken. Wonderful. All right, yeah. sorry. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but so I I think uh, uh, Richard what tried to damage me after on purpose even further with that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think, of course, the people that hated me, they happily believed him, but it didn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I think between him having, um, so I, I know a little bit about him, and I know he had a degenerative disc disorder in his neck. I think going through that, as well as he's actually had some, uh, some people come forward and make some allegations against him as being... Uh, an abuser and you know i can't confirm or deny that but maybe maybe some of those things kind of gave him a little uh, different perspective on life and maybe that's why he he uh he, he's been a little more friendly with you now because i yeah i remember he was i mean he went out very very strongly against you and, and basically called you a bully but the thing is you were being bullied for four years like I would be angry too. I I, I would come out swinging as well. But and yeah, I, no, I that is the thing. It's like how can they really think that I fly them up to Vancouver and pay them a mm -hmm. ticket and a hotel, and then I basically uh, eat with them a sandwich and say, and now you got a free trip on my cost, and you fly back, and nothing happened. That is idiotic. Yeah, yeah. No one would respect you. No. Nah. So it, it had to be. It had to be done the way it was done. Of course, after it, every single film festival on the planet invited me, but only if I do a boxing fight there. And uh, <laughs> uh, that, that I, I made clear that that was a, a statement and an event. And it's not like yeah. uh, I'm touring now around like a wrestler. Um, yeah, you're not some freak show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that <laughs> I had to cut that off then uh, totally, um, you know, but... I mean, um, it's what coming back to the very early points we made. It's it's like a, uh, um, it's a lot of jealousy in it, and um, you know there are a lot of film critics. They think they would make the better movies, mm -hmm. and uh, so and then now I think in times like today where you can actually. Uh, shoot movies very cheap if, if with the equipment even with your cell phone you can yeah. shoot 4k stuff uh, so it's it's like really um, possible that you try yourself out even producing making maybe a short film at least yeah yeah exactly you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes when yeah when you're being so critical right? yeah you know it so, would be fair for, for uh, them to show okay I can, I can do this and um, that was another thing What a lot of lies were like that my movies were uh, just amateurish and super cheap. And I, I'm like Ed Wood. But also this is I always said it's unfair to Ed Wood because, I mean, Ed Wood really had no money to make any film. Yeah. And so he, he tried to, in Germany we say you try to make out of shit gold yeah mm -hmm. so uh you know like uh, but but my movies are basically that is just not true like if you see my movies they're all technical well made uh mm -hmm. with with crews they uh, they worked on uh, 50 uh, hollywood films you know it's not that, that my cgi team my sound guy my sound mixer my camera yeah. guy my special effects guy the guy the 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 the, the armorers and the people that do the explosions everybody on my movies is doing a-list features uh for a long time and if, uh, so that means also that in the moment they work with over ball they all turn into film students who have no clue what they're doing it's just idiotic yeah. and it's also not not existing i mean when you watch all my movies uh, they're all technical well made and uh, you know so dts dolby mixed and everything i mean we it's unfair to say it's it's crappy amateurish stuff but there were a lot of people they were just feeding on me and they were they know that maybe from the readers of their articles only half of them actually watch the movie from me and the other half will just believe them 
and carry the name around Uwe Ball is the worst ever. So um, th that, that was really like that, what, what was going on, you know? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I guess to, to start wrapping up here, I just have a few questions about film and, and, and movies in general. Uh, first of all, uh, would you consider yourself to be a fan of the horror genre? Yes, I mean, my the early times where I started watching movies in the movie theaters when I was like 14, 15, there was really the, the big time of horror. There was mm. the first Halloween and uh, Freddy Krueger, uh, Friday the 13th, Mother's Day, The Man Eater, all that stuff was that the 80s. Mm -hmm. basically and I watched them all and I was sneaking in a movie theater I was not 18 so I faked my student uh, my, my school ID from uh, <laughs> I made out of the 1965 what is my birth year I made a three out of it so I was two years older in that thing and uh, so I watched a lot of uh, things very early on and um, it was just like almost like uh, ah, is it it's so scary I, I love it you know so I grew up with 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 this kind of horror films and I'm a big fan of uh, a lot of the horror films of like Rosemary's Baby, of course, The Shining, this kind of the body snatchers, uh, uh, you know, like the, a lot of like the, the not only horror, but horror thriller kind of mixed product too. Uh, yeah. And then of course the Dawn of the Dead and, and uh, the Romero stuff came like a, uh, like a hammer into our world. Yeah, I will never forget yeah. that. It was like in the in the news here. They showed like a can is that allowed? Can a movie like this be shown in the news? And I was right away completely fascinated and said like, Oh my god, I have to watch that movie. Of um, course, yeah. They told you not to, so you have to. Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. and 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 so um, yes, but I'm not a big fan after a while anymore. To be honest, I. I I didn't really like the Blair Witch Project. I think it was not scary at all. And I mm -hmm. totally couldn't get it why that was so successful. And then that 150,000, uh, you know, like 150,000 movies done like this. Like the camera is basically, uh, you see people running and screaming, but they film themselves yeah. with their own cell phone camera. And it's just like a totally, Cloverfield. Yeah. Or you know, it's, it, yeah, so many, or so many amateurish films and a lot of people who had no money tried to enter the business with it, but it was redundant and redundant and redundant. Let's go camping in the woods and then <laughs> what is that noise? But they just don't ever deliver. They never delivered real action uh, or action sequences, bloody action sequences. And um, the, the real horror film I did was Seed. Mm -hmm. So that that movie is is really like a serial murder, um, unbelievable brutal movie I did, and I did that also as a reaction to all this kind of Eli Ross stuff and whatever to to show like I can make a very very dark ultra violent serial murder horror movie, and I think with Seed I completely delivered that, and it's it's it's. A, very like a, a head gets hammered away slowly from him like a five minutes scene in one shot very expensive to do with cgi with the dummy and so on where you really have a woman tied up and you never cut and he hammers the head away and uh i think it's an amazing scene of course <laughs> a lot of my friends told i'm a pervert but i said no it's an amazing scene because we really technical made it in a way that it's like uh really uh disturbing and, uh, yeah. you know, and um, I think it's important also if you do horror, you also have to at one point deliver. Yeah. You yeah. know, it would be like doing The Shining and, okay, he never starts trying to kill his family and stuff like this and, and, right. and just sits there and, and writes red rum. That would not do it. No, no, it, you, you couldn't do I Spit on Your Grave and, and, and not pay off the revenge. Yes. It's, well, what's the point? So, you know, yeah. You you mentioned earlier that you are you're getting back into the film industry in Germany. What what is your after this pandemic is done and you're actually able to get out there and do something? What what would be your first project that you want to do? Yeah, I've wrote a lot of a longer time on it. It's a title is uh, uh, Germany in Winter, and. Um, 
that has to do like in Germany the people know it of course and uh, it's basically there was a movie Germany in fall 35 years ago and that was very famous that film but it was a documentary it was a documentary about uh, the Red Army fraction like a terrorist group in Germany killing a lot of German people mm. and um, I felt it's time to do Germany in winter now, like 30 years later. And my film is playing in the future in six, seven years. And the right corner party is ruling Germany. So uh, it goes back kind of to, uh, they always play, of course, because this party is existing, right? So, and they're playing nice because they're in a democracy. And right now they're only on 8% of the, uh, votes, you know, but then they're getting because of more and more migration comes in from Africa. What is the fact? It will grow, uh, like from Latin America, the immigration into US will grow. Yes, and uh, so there is no way uh, that they don't at least try to come in. But to come into Europe is way easier in a way, yes. as you know, like because uh it, it's the ocean and you can go from all angles you can go to turkey greece you can go spain you can get to italy to the islands down in sicily so and then you run around and trying to enter everywhere so and these guys i know if they would get 50 percent plus we would have a new fascist like they would just kill them you know so yeah. and that is the thing where I show that in the film that they just won the election and then they starting completely in a way dismantling everything what has to do with democracy and they're burning down the uh, asylum homes with the migrants and I follow two basically uh, killers who are the operative arms, like the, the people that actually do the work. And right. uh, it's a very disturbing film. I'm very curious to see if I, I have a lot of press in Germany about it already, but it would be not so easy to get it financed because I don't show the good guys. I don't have, I have one journalist, she tries to find out what's going on, but she gets killed too. So it's a very disturbing, dark future vision. And I think it's important to do this as a warning. Yes. You know, as a warning, like, don't let it come again to this uh, uh, situation. Hitler was voted in with 35% of the votes only. But the first yeah. thing he did was burning down the parliament and saying it right. was an accident. Somebody burned a nice parliament down. But for him, it was the perfect excuse to not have a parliament anymore. Yeah, you know, exactly. and, yeah, you know, and, and the, the thing, I mean, when you see now in, in US, I mean, you're having an election coming. Uh, I never saw the US so much in danger too to completely lose democracy. It's it's yeah. it's just insane that you know I just read like they put like fake ballot boxes out on, in in some yes. you know, I mean yes, think about California. that that is yeah if that Putin would do this uh, yeah. everybody would completely lose their shit and say look Putin is faking the election as usual but uh, the, the Republicans actually tried to do the same, you know, and, yeah. and it's it's so disturbing to see how they dismantle the democracy, how he put crazy people in the uh, now that that woman who wants to go to the Supreme Court, she's a yeah. Catholic lunatic nuthead, right? So uh, mm -hmm. uh, who who is basically living in hundred years ago in her mind? It's it's horrible. It's just a total yeah. shit show. And um, if he gets elected again, I think they will abs absolutely, they will change like how, what, what stuff in school gets teach and all that stuff. If they get four more years like this, they will go for it. Yeah. If, if he gets reelected, then I hope you reopen your restaurant in Canada because I'll be uh, applying for a job as a cook. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, no, for real. I, mean, I think that would be the biggest immigration uh, um, exit out of the U.S. from yeah. like uh, uh, not migrants, like from real American, you know, like Caucasians who basically say, mm -hmm. OK, that was it. I have to well, leave. Um, I would be lying if I said my wife and I hadn't discussed it. Uh, luckily for me, I, I, my actual trade is I'm a cybersecurity engineer. So yeah, that's, that's something good. that is very, very useful. And I can yeah. go to other places and get a work visa pretty easily. But there are a lot of people who don't 
you know, who, who work in the service industry in the U.S. That's a very large portion of our uh, economy. So it might be a little trickier for them, but uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and crazy it's, times. And it, it's also like uh, think about the last four years. This kind of um, I'm a big fan of Bill Mayer in the HBO talk show, for example. Okay, you know, and whatever ten years ago. If you would go to Bill Mayer, he would say the CIA, the NSA, the mm -hmm. FBI, they're all basically right corner, crazy, deep state, blah, blah, blah. Now, he says they are all, our only hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he said like he never thought that he will ever say this, that he hopes for the CIA basically to take out the president, you know, like that they feel like this kind of like, yeah. that is where we are right now. We have a president who disregards the deep state and of course every uh, uh, basically government institution are for him uh, just idiots. How he, I mean, how many times he told the CIA, the FBI, he doesn't need their briefings. And I'm sure he never read a briefing. Like at no, all in no. four years. He read the, the first line of it. It's similar to the critics of your movies. Yeah, totally. And then, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know, and then like, okay, moving on, I have to check my Twitter account. What brings uh, him to the real subject matters of his daily routine? It's not like actually reading, okay, what, what is actually happening somewhere? Uh, the whole Iran stuff, for example, everything yeah. he knows about Iran, he made out of his ass. Yeah, like, as, yeah as, or Fox News. You know, and it's just like, yeah. and as soon as somebody twitters, huh, look, the Iranian president just tweeted, Trump is a piece of shit. That is enough for him. So now he structures yeah. the whole, uh, we're getting out of the Iran deal, uh, whatever. We, we make one sanction after the other. And that is the way America got now ruled for four years. Yeah. And uh, I never thought that like George Bush Jr. is in retrospective, was a great president. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's that stupid love for celebrity culture that we have here that will be our undoing. I'm telling you because we we elected a reality show star. Yeah, it's yeah yeah. yeah. But it's the the so, real. I think the real blame has to go to the spineless, uh, like Mitch McConnell and these people. Yeah. Who just sit back and allow it. Absolutely. You would say, look, yeah. the Republicans freed the slaves. Lincoln was a Republican. So, yes. and, and now you basically ask kissers to a rapist, pussy grabbing, uh, non-believers. Also, a big miracle for me how any Christian could follow Trump. I mean, <laughs> oh, you, yeah. you know, it's That's insane. Hilarious. It's insane. I mean, that yeah. guy is proven gives a shit about the church or God or whatsoever. Yeah. A completely shit and they totally believe him because he says uh, God is with me or whatever I'm the new Jesus uh, this this guy who told the Pope to fuck off basically yeah like, you know <laughs> okay it's <laughs> insane so one last question I've got for yeah. you before we go what do you think is more important in choosing in choosing your path your profession uh, uh, filmmaking or, or restaurant touring do you think Passion is more important or talent? Uh, I mean, totally without talent, it cannot work, whatever you do. Right. Right. So, yeah. but of course, is passion, I think, is is uh, uh, the most important thing. And there was a good, you remember the movie uh, Mr. Universe with Arnold Schwarzenegger from, yes. from Bob Raffelsen, right? And in, in that movie was a line I've actually wrote. Uh, and it was I put it up in on top of my bed where he said like whatever it doesn't really matter what you do in life but what you do you have to do with your full heart like yes. you know and that was a lock line for me uh, from a little town in Germany with no context to the film industry to say I want to make movies and I made 32. You know, so yeah. it, I'm not the son of Bob Evans or you know, like whatever, like as so many other people. So it, it's like it's it's really like this kind of I had that dream. I want to make movies, and I worked my ass off to get it done. And and uh, I, I would never be able to that I did that without being being so passionate about it. You know, so yeah. and that is the thing. It's like it, it was also with the, as a restaurateur. I felt like. You know, it's after two, three years, I felt that is now um, taking me away 
from the job I choose basically when I was 10. Yeah. You know, I mean, I opened the restaurant, I was 50 at that time. Now I'm 55 and I felt like I just cannot continue with this because I really, really want to make movies again. I really want to make movies. So for me, it was this kind of like uh, never the plan to be a full on restaurateur and doing no movies anymore. But it was almost uh, um, at that point also, yeah, uh, I needed a break in a way. Everything changed. There was no more DVD deals to, to make. Everything went to streamers. And I had to readjust, but I think that three years of, of break uh, was good to um, yeah to bring the drive back and to yeah. bring the passion back, you know. So it's like the, the routine is gone, and now it's more the passion is really back to to tell great stories and and stories they are engaging and stories they are uh, scary. I like scary stuff. I like stuff that is violent, but but realistic. I did that in Darfur. Yeah. I did that in Rampage. I saw it on Wall Street. I mostly make movies where it's about life and death. So I'm the wrong guy for the the Julia Roberts drama. So yeah. uh, you know, I'm. Uh, but but I think that I, I did a, a few really intense and really good films and uh, a lot of just entertaining films where not really, let's say, a message is in or political message. And I think that is totally okay because that is also how I watch movies. It's not that I, uh, I, I like JFK from Oliver Stone, but I like also Jaws from Steven Spielberg. And I think yeah. film can be and has to be both. It has to be always entertaining, but sometimes it's an evening for like, heavy 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 stuff and sometimes you just want uh just a great film and and uh no political impact no thinking about the end of the world is coming it's more like uh enjoying the ride and i still have that and that, that is i like jumanji with the rock for example you know yeah. it's just a good movie to watch with the kids also you have you and, and that is the thing it's like um and i'm happy that I could keep over the years this kind of um, ability, you know, that you also can still watch a Pixar movie and laugh your ass off, uh, you know, with the, whatever the minions and all that stuff. I like that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time. Uh, I could I could talk to you for another hour, but I don't want to I don't want to <laughs> take up your day. I know it's a little later where you're at. Um, so I guess just in closing, thank you for the interview. And yeah. we're going to have our bull vamper. I'm going to watch your movies. And you're totally allowed to say no here. And I can cut this out of the interview if you want. But would you be willing at the end of the month to have a discussion with me after I've seen these movies? Absolutely. Let's do that Wonderful. again and, and watch a few movies. And uh, uh, but maybe watch also additional like a Rampage or a Darfur, like one of the more like uh, also more recent uh, films. Well, you you brought up Seed, right? Yeah. As being your horror movie, I, that, I'm definitely going to watch that. One. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds brilliant to me. Perfect. All right. Well, well thank, thank you, you for joining, joining us for yeah. the Bloody, Bloody Bits Horror Show, and this is how I ended. Thanks so much.